0: Amen. You could have a seat. Good morning, Century. Um, Thanks for your continued prayers for the Gallagher family. Thanks for your continued prayers for us as a staff, as um, as Ethan mentioned, that we uh, said goodbye to Pastor Dave this week. A lot of people have also been wondering how they can help, how they can uh, participate, what they can do to support. And so, we're expecting that there will be a lot of people here uh, this coming weekend, and so uh, the ladies in the kitchen said, "If people would like to bake bars, cookies, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, you can get in contact with Robin here at the church. It's hard uh, because when we have funerals here at Century, uh, Pastor Dave has, is usually the uh, the manpower and the brains behind all of it, putting it all together. And so uh, he's going to have the worst funeral." Uh, that we've ever had here at Century uh, without without him here, and maybe it should be uh, that way, but we're going to celebrate him big, and so um, if you feel like you're like, well, I don't know, I'm not really family, you're family, so you're more than welcome, invited, and encouraged uh, to be here this weekend. As uh, There'll be visitation on Thursday night from 5 until 7, and I know it would mean a lot to Angie and and Ben and John uh, just to uh, to see you there, so uh, you can continue to to pray for them. I I was sitting in my office at home on Thursday night, trying to figure out uh, what we should do about today, uh, because I just thought, uh, um, what do we do? Do we do we just do we just keep pressing on? You know, kind of business as usual on a on a Sunday morning. Do I need to kind of toss what I've prepared for this week's message and 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 do something else? And it was. Really, uh, it wasn't the voice of God that I heard, it was Dave's voice, who he'd been talking to me over the last number of weeks uh, about his funeral, and we put details together and planning it, and, and he just said, don't you dare make it about me, right? And so, so I, I crossed my fingers behind my back and said, okay, Dave, right? But... Um, but I, but this is what what Dave would would want from us today is that we keep moving forward, uh, looking into this passage, and it's only by the grace of God through us putting together a plan of how this series was going to lay out. I think that we that we have this passage today because we're going to talk about Jesus sitting uh, in Matthew's house uh, with uh, the Pharisee with the the tax collectors and the sinners, right, as the Pharisees called them, uh, and nobody embodied hospitality, caring for the lost, caring for, for those that maybe felt out of place or seemed out of place than Pastor Dave. Uh, he was our pastor of care. That's what he did for a living because that's who he was with his life. He cared about people. He always made it a point to, to just be out in the hallways and in the connecting place on Sunday morning, just finding people who maybe looked alone or maybe looked like they were new and needed somebody to connect with. And he was always the guy that somehow knew you were in the hospital before you even knew that you were going to the hospital. And, and he was just there, whether you wanted him there or not. He was there to provide care. And there were stories he'd come back and he'd tell me, he said, I visited a lady uh, in the hospital today that I thought went to our church, but I didn't know her at all. He said, but I, you know, I prayed for her and, you know, she, she got ministered because that's just who he was, and I just think that that even though today we're talking about Jesus, caring for those who just needed to know that that they were loved and connected, uh, I think Dave was a great living sermon illustration of all of that. He he knew, and he lived into what it meant to be a part of community. That, That was his prayer, is that century would become such a deep community that that he actually said that he could work himself out of a job. He said that Century wouldn't need a pastor of care because all of Century would be pastors of care for one another. So that's the role that we now step into, is we're, we, we're going to do what it is that he's called us to do because we know that disciples grow best when we live in community, we're wired for it. God created us to be a part of community. And nobody knows this wiring, this draw better, I think, than students at the beginning of a new school year, right? It, because for weeks now, as you've been leading up, there's been maybe sleepless nights and wondering, what, what am I going to wear on my first day of school? Because, man, I want to make sure that, that, that when I show up, it's not so much about fitting in, right? It's just, I just don't want to be left out. That's the feeling that we all have, right? I want to find my place. I want to find out where I connect, but man, more than that, I just want to know that I'm, that I'm, that I'm not alone, that I'm not on the outs. I want to be in. So as we go to Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 9 today, let me just remind us of where we've come. Last week, we talked about Jesus healing the paralyzed man, and in it, Uh, Jesus did two things. He forgave the man of his sins, because remember, that was the culture of the day, was to believe that the reason that you're sick was probably because you did something wrong. If not you, maybe a family member. And so Jesus relieves all of the weight that this man has on himself by saying, your sins are forgiven and you are healed. Well, we've got this group of people that really become kind of the, the... Uh, I don't know, I want to say that the enemies that we're going to read through all the way through the gospel, the religious leaders that are always looking for a way to get after Jesus. And so they hear him say that he forgives them of his sins. How dare you say that? And Jesus once again, through the healing of the paralyzed man, proves that he is God. They just refuse to see it. Because they can't see that past their tradition uh, and the way that they've done church their whole lives. Well, this can't be true because it's not not done the way that I would want it to be done. So they doubt Jesus and they want Him dead and they uh, are going to chase Him all around the countryside to find every little thing that He does wrong and they show up again today in our text. Jesus, however, in this text shows that He's not so concerned about fitting in with the religious people. He's not so concerned at all. He's not concerned at all about what they even think of Him. What Jesus is concerned about is the lost. And it's a call for us as well. So let's stand together. If you're able, if you're willing, let me read uh, Matthew 9, 9-13 uh, for us. So as Jesus passed on from there, in other words, from this crowded house that He was in where He healed This paralyzed man, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, "'Follow me.' Matthew rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, "'Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?' And when he heard it, Jesus said, "'Those who are well have no need of a physician.' but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, this is your word. Uh, We believe that that it is truth, 100% of it. And it has the power to change. And so may your spirit work in us today. May the words that we've just read be louder and more powerful than any word that I could speak. God, we submit, surrender to Your authority of Your Word. Show us who we are, who You are through all of this. Amen. You can have a seat. So let me just observe for you the three different uh, in-crowds that we find as we read through this text. You can maybe think about or find yourself in this uh, passage and then just ask, so what does God want me to do uh, through what He's teaching us in His Word today? The first that we find is Matthew. He's the invited As Jesus invites him to come and follow him, Matthew, on the list of people in Capernaum that day, uh, Matthew probably wouldn't have been on the list of those that are going to follow Jesus. Uh, He obviously is not part of the crowd that's in the home, uh, spending time listening to Jesus teach, right? So he he wasn't in in church, we could say. He wasn't there. He wasn't listening to what Jesus had to say. He wasn't a part of what was happening with the healings that were there because he's a tax collector. He's out at his tax booth. A tax collector in ancient times were some of the most hated people in the community. You never wanted them to come around because when they did, they wanted something from you. They needed your money. That was their job. And so there were these booths that were usually set up around the villages. Capernaum would have had one on the shore, the seashore, so that when ships came in, the tax collector could be there to collect the, the duties, the tax. They would come in from whatever goods that they were bringing into uh, the north part of uh, the Sea of Galilee. There would be one in the city market, somebody who could watch over all that was going on to make sure that all that was happening, all the exchanges that were taking place were on the up and up and they were collecting whatever it was that they needed. There would also have been one out on the road. There's a, uh, there was a really busy uh, road that went by Capernaum uh, that connected trade routes. And so Matthew would make some money there. Now, the way that a tax collector got their job in ancient times was not necessarily that they applied for it or they weren't raised up to be tax collectors. It really wasn't something here as parents you wanted your child to be. But what you did is if you felt like, man, I think I can, I think I can do this gig, you would put a bid in with the Roman government and, and you would uh, tell them, uh, this is what I will pay you in order for you to allow me to be the one to collect taxes, And so what would happen is you would would bid to the Roman government, they would accept obviously the highest bidder, and then then you would commit that you were going to pay off that debt, and the way that you did it was by collecting your taxes wherever you decided to set up your tax booth. And so uh, it wasn't like whatever you collected, the government got a percentage of it, you just put a bid in and then you needed to do the work to make sure that you at least cleared what it is that you bid, but you could really charge anything that you wanted, make a little money, because nobody knew what it is that you owed uh, the government. And so people hated tax collectors because they knew, man, you're ripping us off just to fill your own pockets. On top of that, uh, the Jewish people hated tax collectors who were of their own kind, who were Jews because they were uh, basically seen as friends with the enemy. And on top of that, uh, they were collecting tax money from everybody in the area, Jews and Gentiles alike. And the view of, from a Jew about a Gentile was that they were unclean. You don't ever touch anything that a Gentile touch, much less hold out your hand and let their coins and their hands touch yours. So all in all, tax collectors were considered to be some of the lowest People that you could find in your city. Nobody wanted to be friends with a tax collector except other tax collectors. Or, or somebody who thought that they could get something out of it. Actually, you just did whatever you could to avoid a tax collector um, in any way that you could. And, and they were looked upon with disgust. People hated them. So that's Matthew. Here he is at his tax booth. And something amazing happens. Jesus comes along. Of all the people in the city that day, a crowd. Jesus is a celebrity. Everywhere that He goes, I don't know about you, but when I see celebrities on TV, they're usually surrounded by other celebrities. That's the people that they hang with. And and the people that they surround themselves with are people that are going to applaud them and hold them up and, and, and make them look even better. But Jesus doesn't care about what other people think. He goes directly to what? The worst of the worst, really, in the community and says, I want you. I want to hang out with you. I want you to spend time with me. Come and follow me. Now, there, it says that, that immediately, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all uh, tell of, of the calling of Matthew. Mark and Luke say that his name is Levi. That's because in uh ancient first century Galilee, because of the Greek influence, usually had two names. So Levi was his Greek name, Matthew his Hebrew name, and it says, they say that that he immediately left everything and followed Jesus. What does that tell you about probably what's going on in Matthew's heart? There is a deep longing for something more. I'm, I don't have what I feel that I need deep inside. Um, Who knows? We we can't read into it too much, but all we know is that all it took were two words, follow me. And Matthew left everything, walked away from from his income, from security, uh, from maybe even the debt that he owed the government. And and he just said, none of that matters because Jesus wants me that says that he probably knew something about jesus but he heard the words that actually we talk about this in discipleship all the time that in in, in ancient uh, judaism that it was really the dream of every pa- set of parents that their son that when he would turn 13 years old would hear those two words from a rabbi would hear follow me because it meant you're going to be one of my disciples. I believe in you. I see something in you. I'm going to replicate myself in your life. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus that we talk about. It's not just I believe that that Jesus is God, or I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Uh, A disciple is one that says, I'm going to let my life be changed because of it, and I'm going to devote my life to becoming more and more like him. That was what a disciple did. And so a rabbi saying, follow me, was saying, I want to replicate, I want to duplicate myself in your life. Well, Matthew never heard that, obviously. He's a tax collector when he was a child, which meant he wasn't the best of the best. He didn't rise to the top of the class for any rabbi to see him. But that day, Jesus just walks right out to him and says, I want you to follow me. Jesus gives him a whole new purpose on life. Matthew had nothing to bring to the table. That's what's so amazing about Jesus calling him, that it was all about Jesus. It's not like Jesus saw something in him to say, well, you you finally hit a level at which you can be one of my disciples. No, he was a tax collector. Nobody wanted Matthew. Just like you and me, Jesus calls us, despite our past or our pedigree, whatever it is, this is a story that's all about the irresistible grace of Jesus. That he just says, I want you. Come and follow me. Jesus didn't need him. He wasn't looking for... A, I could use a good tax collector in my group, right? Because we know that, that that Judas was the one that was in charge of the money. He was terrible at it too. Probably should have been Matthew. Uh, but, um, but Matthew wasn't chosen because of his job or his career or his giftedness. He was chosen... I really believe for this reason is so that, so that we could see that God chooses the worst of the worst, right? The outcasts. He's for them. Where does that place you, right? That, that if Jesus loves the worst of sinners, you're like, yep, that's me. Then, then, oh, what he could do in my life. He seemed to be the furthest away from being a disciple. Later on in Matthew 19, um, Jesus says that it talks about the difficulty of a rich man getting into the kingdom of heaven and, uh, you know, the whole camel in the eye of a needle. And the disciples are like, well, if that's the case, how can anybody be saved? How in the world can anybody be saved if, it, if it's like, if it's that difficult? And what is Jesus' response? With God, all things are possible, right? Because it's not about us. It's, imp- it's impossible for us, right, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, except for God calling us, making a way, inviting us to come and to follow Him, and Matthew left everything to follow Jesus. The question for us today is, maybe for you, what's holding you back? Then we 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 see the crowd get a little bit larger, by those that were influenced. Matthew loses everything, right? He just walks away. Imagine that. Okay, just picture that. You you lose. You have to go back home and tell your wife and your kids that you've lost your job. We've got nothing. We're we're broke now. No more income coming in. What would we start thinking? Our lifestyle is going to have to change for a while, right? We maybe need to sell a car, and we maybe we're not going to go out to eat, and we're going to cancel our 90 subscriptions that we have on our television, you know, all of that. We would start trimming down. But what we read in Luke is that Matthew left everything, followed Jesus, and then Matthew invites Jesus and the disciples and all of his tax collector friends and others over to his house, and he throws a great feast for Jesus. (laughs) he He doesn't care about what The future holds financially because he's got security in Jesus and he wants to celebrate that his life has been changed, that Jesus saw him, that Jesus called him. And then he invites all of his other tax collector friends and other sinners as the Pharisees said, you guys got to come over because you have to meet the one who believes in me, who's changed everything, the one that I'm willing to get rid of everything for, and I'm going to spend it all on celebrating who Jesus is. And this new life that He's given me, and I want all of you to come around the table and realize that. So then it goes on to say that Jesus then reclined at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, and they were reclining with Jesus and His disciples. I always feel like if a word is repeated, you should probably dig into it a little bit. They were reclining at the table, right? Right? How many uh, of us have been, uh, you know, scolded by our moms for elbows on the table, much less, hey mom, is it cool if we just lay down tonight and eat our dinner? <laughs> uh, absolutely not, right? we got to sit upright in great posture. Jesus and the disciples and the whole crowd, they're just laying around. And that's, that's exactly the picture that Matthew is showing us. It was actually part of the culture of the day. It was Greek influence. Uh, on on what was taking place that you would you would really just kind of spread out and lay down because what it shows is that is that meals are about relationship it's about being together it's about spending time together and if you invite somebody into your home you want them to be relaxed you're 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 secure here there's peace here you can spend all the time that you want here but just relax my son was telling me the other day that that he said, there's a, a, depending on the type of restaurant that you go to, the levels of restaurant, right, is, is that they 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 design the chairs uh, to be hard because they if they want you to get out of there quick because they got to bring in the next group of people. Uh, imagine if you went to a restaurant and they're just like mattresses on the floor, and you're like, this is the weirdest place that I've ever come, you know, for a burrito. Uh, and but but this that's what it was all about. It was about the host just saying, we want you to feel relaxed here. You're home here. And it was all about sitting around the table together, lying around and feeling at peace. I love that it says that Jesus reclined with them. He's, he didn't come uh, to, to tear people apart. He didn't come like, say, well, here's, this is great. I've got a, I've got a, a great audience, right? I'm going to start to just really get after him. Bunch of tax collectors, what a great crowd. I got them in a room, now I'm going to hit them. Tell them all the things that they're doing wrong. No, it says that he started with relationship. He just sat with them, relaxed with them, and enjoyed dinner. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'll help you to be unburdened, by what's going on in the world, and more importantly, what's going on in your life and your sin, I'm here to relieve all of that. Relax, find peace. He didn't avoid them, right? He got in the middle of them, and he just showed them, I care. Some of the worst decisions I think that a person can make is in in the heat of a moment, right in the middle of stress. Uh, Jesus just relaxes with them and influences them. He had to. We don't read more about it because that's not what the story is about. But we do understand that that Jesus got in the middle of them and spent time with them because eating a meal, it's different for us today, right? A lot of our meals are eaten in our car by ourselves or we're flying from one appointment to the next or or maybe at the kitchen table if we can get the whole family together. But it's, it's just something we do in the, the, just the, the motions of our day. But having a meal together uh, in Jesus' day uh, was all about entering into fellowship with people. It was an experience that you just hit pause on life for and you spent time with others but there was a rule that the religious people of it it wasn't biblical it was religious it was a rule written because of a rule written because of a rule because of a verse and and so they'd gotten so far away as jesus was constantly correcting them Um, but there was an ancient jewish rule that you couldn't share in fellowship or a meal with sinners until they changed their ways until they repented until they became like you but Jesus changes that. He says, you don't have to become an insider, if that's what you want to call it, in order to be with me. He, he, he shows us how to live. We connect with people first. And it's through that connection that they then find Christ and then begin to change. We get it, we get it backwards so often. Well, I don't know, I'm just not at a point in my life where I feel like I'm good enough for God. That's why you need God. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus came while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Why do we expect that of other people? I love uh, to tell stories of what's going on in our church plants. Actually, from the very beginning, that's what I told our church planters. I said, go and do what it is that, that we should also be doing, and we'll tell your stories at Century, and together we'll just, we'll change this city. And when Missio first started, uh, they didn't have a worship service, which blew a lot of people's minds. Like, how do you have a church and not a church service? But they started with, with what they called open table. It was just a few people having a dinner and inviting their neighbors over for dinner. Oh, well, did they do a Bible study? No. <gasps> Right, they they just got together and ate uh, a meal. Well, did they? watch a video? Nope, didn't. Nope. They just ate a meal, and, and let people know that they were loved, and they just fellowshiped together. It was it was fun. I mean, there's always these bumps in the road that we hit, but I I to get calls from people. And they're like, look, I don't want you to think bad of me, pastor, but. I just got a question. We're doing these open tables and we're inviting our neighbors, you know, because we want them to know who Jesus is and, and, and it's awkward because our, our friends are coming uh, to, to our dinners and, and, they, and they're bringing, like, wine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, in other words, what was being said, and I, and I get it, their hearts were great, but what they're saying is they're, they're not like us. Right, And we had to start, we had to start uh, really uh, kind of unpacking all of this of how much of what you do is actual Jesus and how much of what you do is just religion that got tacked on somewhere over tradition and time and all of this. Why is it that we expect people uh, to that, that, that when they come, if they don't know who Jesus is, that they're supposed to be like Jesus in order for us to hang out with them? Jesus didn't live that way. He said, how about, how about I come and hang out with you and, and, and let me try to influence you. Jesus was secure in who He was. He, he wasn't going to let lost people make Him lost. He went because He loved people and He was going to bring them into the kingdom so that He could bring change. He sought out the lost with no expectations from them. He just cared about people. Romans 10, 14 says, How can somebody call on Jesus to change them unless they believe? And how can somebody believe if they've never heard? And how can somebody hear unless somebody tells them? And how can somebody tell them unless they're sent? And how can they be sent unless they go? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How well do you do at reclining at a table with people that need to know Jesus? Who's around your table? Is anybody? Is your life so fast? There's no, there's no time for that. There are people out in this world like Matthew uh, who are on the outs and they would just love somebody to say, Hey, why don't you come and spend time with me? No strings attached. Let's just start up a relationship. Finally, we got the indignant. Uh, as I said, we're going to see these guys rise up over and over and over again. These tough guys, right? The Pharisees. We're the religious leaders. We make the rules around here. We tell people what to do, but they're too scared to talk to Jesus. It says they go to the disciples like, hey, why, why, is, your, why is your rabbi, why is your teacher uh, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? They really didn't want an answer. What they were trying to do is put doubt into the disciples' minds that, hey, this guy you're following, probably not worth following. Right? You should, you should follow our ways. You should do what we, what we do. Be our disciples. But the disciples aren't having it. Jesus overhears it. He great ears. Uh, and, and He comes and gives an answer. He said, well, here's why. Because the healthy don't need a physician. They don't need a doctor. I love John Calvin's take on this. He says, Jesus isn't claiming that the Pharisees don't need Him. What He's saying is that in their own self-righteousness that they see themselves as healthy and nothing that He says is going to make them believe that they're sick. So He says, so I'm going to go to the people who actually know that they need Me. And and I love love the picture that Jesus paints about a physician because... um, that's what we appreciate about doctors, right? Can you imagine if, if you went into the hospital and, and the doctor says, what seems to be the problem? You're like, man, I got this terrible cough. My nose is runny. You know, my head aches. And the doctor's like, well, get out of here. I don't want to get sick, All right. <laughs> That's not how it works. A physician said, what did he say? He says, open up. He's not worried. He's more concerned about your health than his own. He, I'm healthy. I'm good, right, right? I'm around sick people all the time. I'm immune from this. So open up. Let me help you. I'll get my fingers in there. I'll get dirty, right? I'll get messy because I'm not afraid of it. And that's what Jesus is saying, really. He's saying, I can hang out with sinners because they need me. They need to be healthy. And I'm not afraid like you Pharisees who are watching from outside and everything that you do is away from the people of this world because you need them to, be, to get clean in order to hang out with you because you're so... Well, where's your faith? That you're so afraid that you're going to become contaminated? How about you take on the attitude of I want to help them become more like Christ. I'm more concerned with that than I am uh, about me losing my faith or what people are going to think of me. And and so we have to be bold in our, in our belief. We have to be bold and confident in our salvation. And our passion for Jesus is to be so deep that we can go out into the darkest parts of the world and we can bring light rather than think that our light is going to go out. This is what Jesus is calling us to do in going and making disciples. Is to go to the ends of the earth. Not concerned about losing our faith, but being concerned about giving our faith away. That's the example that he sets. And then Jesus doesn't hold back, man. He, he really punches him. He, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. But the, the, the hard part of that, what Jesus was saying that really would have got him angry is he said, go and learn what this means. Because what he's saying is, hey, there's a verse in the Old Testament to which scribes and Pharisees are masters of. They know what it means. And Jesus says, ah, I don't think you do. Why don't you go back and and learn what this means? How dare he say that? He's saying, we don't know what it means. And that's exactly what he's saying. That God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And let me just say, God's not saying in that passage that he wants compassion. Instead of sacrifice, what he's saying is more than. That's the original language. I desire mercy, compassion that you show to other people. In other words, I desire seeing your love lived out far more than I am than you just going through the ritual and the motions. That's what God wants from us. That the love that he's given to us would pour out unto the lives of others. Then he says, I came to call the righteous Uh, not the righteous but sinners there's power in those words i came i was sent i'm here for a purpose and a reason and that's to rescue the lost exodus 15 26 says i am the lord that heals you that was jesus role it's not the healthy that need a doctor it's the sick and that's why he came to save us from the disease of sin he's our great healer not afraid to get into the messiness of our world because he's going to get contaminated by it, but he boldly came to rescue us from ourselves. And he calls us to follow him. What he would do in Matthew is empower him to go out and do exactly what it was that he had done, to go out and to grow the church and to impact lives. But for it to start, he had to let go of the old life. And that's my challenge uh, to you today. Have you let go of the old life to find full security in Jesus? And then have you celebrated with friends and family this new life that you have? And then have you gone out and are you telling people about Him, love God, love others, all for His glory? As we conclude today, I want, to just, I want you just to watch uh, this video. It's really a, kind of a closing prayer um, that, that's just about this upcoming school year. We know uh, that uh, that the year has started. We know that there's high stress a lot of times in parents and teachers and kids. Let me just this is my challenge to all of us, parents, with your child's teachers, be Jesus to them. Show them grace this year. Show them love this year. Show them compassion and mercy this year. Teachers. <laughs> Parenting's not easy. And and we know that we all want the best for our kids. So show Jesus to parents this year. Show mercy. Show compassion. Show grace. Show Jesus. Your job, teachers, is one of the most important and one of the most difficult that there is. And we value you and we are so grateful for, for what it is that you do, because it's not easy being a teacher right now. So thanks for what you do. Hang in there. God's got you. Let Him use you in a powerful way to speak to that child who feels like they're on the out. So bring them in. Show them Jesus. Kids, students, man, it's tough being a kid today. I know it. I get it. Our prayer for you this year is that you'd be Jesus to your friends. You'd be Jesus to your teachers. Uh, That you would be Jesus to your coaches. That you'd be Jesus to the fans that are watching you play sports. All of us. Let's just be Jesus to each other. Show mercy and compassion. That's what God wants. For us to show it, to open the door, so that we could introduce Jesus.